Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no Encore. Welcome to episode 4 of the No Encore podcast. I am joined, once again, by Cullum O'Regan. How are you, Dave? And I'm not joined by Craig Fitzpatrick. He's gone. We've lost him. Yeah, well, certainly he's getting lost himself right now. He's getting lost himself right now on a lads weekend. Hashtag lads weekend. A stag weekend in Prague. And, uh, you know, why don't you tell the listeners what he's been getting up to? After flying out this morning. Well, first thing when they flew out was they were picked up by a limo, uh, which included two strippers uh, booked to hang out in the back with uh, the hashtag lads and the groom's dad. Yeah, so if you're wondering which one of us was, you know, oi oi banter brigade, it's Craig. And uh, I got a text message off him, by the way. Uh, an SMS, a real throwback there. Tell uh, me. Uh, one line, and it said, this limo ride is death in block capitals. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? It sounds great. Uh, have a great time, Craig. Uh, we want a full report on that when you return. And yeah, I mean, like I, I thought it would have been a lot more episodes before one of us just flew the nest, but there you go. What can you do? Doesn't what can you do? Well, what we can do is actually get someone in uh, to replace him for a while, at least. We can. And uh, later on this evening, we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Rory Lynch, uh, a.k.a. Bantam. Excellent. Uh, he's, uh, he's a much better man than Craig all around, I feel. You wouldn't catch him in a limousine with some strippers. No. No. 
Or if he did, he wouldn't admit it. Also on today's show, we will round up the biggest news stories and we will talk about M83's album and recent Gano Family's album at some point in the show. And Cullen has another great top ten for us to run down, so please stay tuned for that after the American football. On the American football one last week, by the way, you had a rule, and your rule was all these players are currently active. Mm-hmm. You lied to the listeners once again. I didn't. At the time, Dabrikashaw Ferguson was still active. By the time that the podcast had been edited and published, Dabrikashaw Ferguson had, in a complete surprise, uh, retired. Do you reckon he caught wind of something, that he didn't win your top ten? I'm not, maybe, so maybe uh, he was just so jealous of Barkevius Mingo he couldn't go on. I'm not sure. We're all jealous of Barkevius Mingo. Anyway, how was your week, man? Uh, yeah, not bad. Good, good. Busy enough, but... You, you know. look good. <laughs> you look great. Thanks very much, mate. You're looking very well yourself. Cheers, man. Listen. Um, we were both gigging, as per usual. We were both gigging, but uh, yeah, I went to Overhead the Albatross on Saturday, who, of course, listeners will know, appeared on the debut episode of this podcast. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back, because it's very, very enjoyable indeed. They were excellent. Uh, it was in the Workman's Club, the site of the great power outage of December 2015, where it all went wrong halfway through their set. Thankfully, I'm so happy to report that it didn't happen again. There was no chaos, there was no blackouts, there was no problems. They were absolutely brilliant. Good, good. I mean, get a little more in-depth in the music here, Dave, because it's a really damning sort of praise when you say, how was the gig? Well, the power stayed on. They got to play all the way through in their set. Uh, Okay, music-wise, they played quite a bit off the new record, which comes out on Friday Friday the 13th of May. And I've heard the record. Uh, you know, re- there are probably some review embargoes in place, so I don't get too into it. But I will say this: it's absolutely excellent, and I'm not just saying that because I know them. But like, it actually lives up to the hype. Uh, so yeah, the set was structured incredibly well. Like I say, a lot of stuff people hadn't heard before. But I think with that kind of a gig, with an instrumental kind of post-rocky kind of gig, it doesn't really matter. It's all about the the swell and the epicness and and how well the song was kind of coalesced together. Uh, seven people on one stage. You know, kind of shout out to Leah Wright, who is effectively you know the seventh Beatle in that regard. Um, a lighting rig that could, you know, it was almost as intense as looking at the sun for too long uh, at several points. Um, Joe Panama wearing a shirt that was about three sizes too big for him, looking very like Eddie Vedder from 1993. Um, There was lots and lots of highlights. Yeah, it was it was absolutely terrific. But like they they kind of make that kind of music better than anybody in this country for my money. And there are lots of bands making that kind of music and I'm not, I don't mean to slight them or anything, but I think Overhead the Albatross have tapped into something quite exceptional at the moment. And yeah, okay, I'm a fan. I'm friends with them. Trust me, this is a very impartial verdict. They're absolutely brilliant. And when they're touring or whatever they're going to do over the summer, they're playing festival dates, make it your mission to go and see them. I think it's fair to say that, you know, they, they are quite special. I think it's also fair to say that most people have recognised that for a while. So, I mean, when you say believe the hype and that it, it does live up to expectations, that's really saying something because it's built over a number of years at this stage. People are really are hopeful that these guys are going to make it big. And they seem really kind of shocked by that themselves because they're all ridiculously humble and none of them walk around with a big ego. They're the nicest people you're going to talk to. They're really... They were very overwhelmed by... Actually, yeah, the gig was full to capacity. People were turned away. Craig was supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to text him frantically and be like, don't get on the bus, man. Think about Prague. Think about that limousine, you know? There are other things that will happen for you this week. And yeah, people were turned away. Like, the room was full. Like, heaving. And it was... Yeah, it was just... It was terrific. Uh, a wonderful way to spend an hour on a Saturday evening. Uh, you spent an hour or two of a Monday evening. Uh, you went. You were. You were. You were disappointed, weren't you? You. You were. In fact, they saw you coming. As a tribute band aficionado, I was very disappointed. 
Tell, um, tell the world what happened. Well, that's right. Uh, so, Tudor Cinema Club, as in the Tudors, uh, were meant to be playing in Whelan's. And uh, Tudor Cinema Club, a tribute act, of course. Turns out that it was the band themselves. What? What? No, surely not. I mean, it, it was one of those weird things, actually, when... When the penny dropped, and I think it did for everybody at around the same time, you sort of looked back and just went, how did I not realise this earlier? I remember you sending me an image of that gig when it was announced, and you were just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, and I mean... Who would do this? Yeah, you're kind of thinking, like, you know, what sort of covers band or tribute act would go on a nationwide tour booking rooms like the Roisin Dove and Whelan's and the Limelight in Belfast, charge cover for entry... This makes no sense. And of course, yeah, it didn't make any sense. And there was a good reason why. You're a fan of the band. I am. I'm a huge fan, actually, yeah. And it was an exceptional gig. Unlike over the Al- Overhead the Albatross, there was no new material whatsoever. Interesting. None. So it was a tune-up for, you know, getting back in. It's been about two, two and a half much. years or so. Since That's exactly it, yeah. I mean, I think if they had been on tour, say, last year, if they'd been on the festival circuit and stuff like that, and then they came with no new music... Uh, then that'd be weird or a bit disappointing. Uh, instead, uh, this was their first gig since, I think, December 2013. Their first gig since the picnic of 2013. So when it was kind of three years since they played for an Irish audience, I think, you know, the the, the, the old stuff and the, the known hits were probably the, the, the best way to go about it. Hmm. And they sounded absolutely fantastic. I mean, if there was any kind of ring rust or cobwebs, it certainly didn't show. You mentioned Picnic 2013 there. I actually interviewed them in front of an audience for the Hot Press Tent, Full House. And like at one point I was like, so guys, you threw Rolling Stones under the bus at Glastonbury in an interview backstage saying that they were past it and they should retire. Uh, you know, any any hard feelings on that? Any second thoughts? You want to you backtrack on that one? And uh, Alex Trimble was just like, uh, no, <laughs> they're completely past it. They should retire. So I admired the man's chutzpah. A man of principles. And if you're going to admire his chutzpah, you should really admire the uh, the cojones that it took to wear his choice of shirt on Monday. Leopard print, I believe. Yeah, basically was what your grand-aunt used to wear. Um, it was not very good. It didn't look very good from the photographs that I've seen. And in person, if anything, it was worse. But uh, look, I suppose if that's the worst complaint you have after a gig, then... Um, than no bad thing. He's rocking a real interesting haircut as well. He looks very 93. He is. It's, it's grown out a Joe little Panama bit. Joe Panama looking very 1993. Alex Trimble looking very 1993. Maybe grunge is coming back in, man. Perhaps so. At the same time, there's more of a... Well, I don't know what sort of era you'd give it. It's probably actually a modern uh, full beard coming from the bassist right now. So uh, all change in the Tudor Cinema Club front. Of course, they do actually have you know proper changes like a, a new album forthcoming. They're obviously back in the festival circuit this year. So what kind of should be a loud actually? Did you have in Wheelands that night? We can talk about it later. In fact, but the crowd was overwhelmingly good. It was positive, they were respectful, they were into it, it was clearly proper fans, as it were. I guess that's a kind of a knock-on effect of, you know, ostensibly speaking, not knowing definitively what we were buying tickets for. Not knowing, indeed, though, what you were going to get. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Did anybody not know? (laughs) 
Not by the end of it, no, but what I mean as well Yeah, is not by the end of it, obviously, but three people, like, surely... Oh, sorry, not, not by the time <laughs> that the gig came around, but also, no, but I, what I mean is, there were a lot of people there who felt as though they might be coming to a sort of a working rehearsal of a third album. Kind of like what R.E.M. did in the Olympia Precisely, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there were some people who wanted the greatest hits, there were some people who were resigned to the fact they weren't going to get it. Some people thought they might recognise, you know, two songs on an encore and that was it. The fact that it turned out to be a kind of, like I say, you know, just kind of like greatest hits, if you can have a greatest hits gig after just two albums. But basically the songs that people were familiar with, that came as a surprise to a lot of people. People weren't banking on that. It wasn't people saying, you know, oh, I know one song from the radio, I'll head along to that, which you get with so many gigs these days. So, uh, yeah, it probably had that bit more enthusiasm and, and, and you know, a bit more... Um, bit more i don't know devotion from the fans i suppose it, it was, is always good. it is always cool though to get that kind of intimacy and that devotion from certain acts because it's rare i mean like you know i guess for two-door cinema club paying about what i guess the guts of a tenor maybe even less into that gig is preferable to paying fifteen hundred dollars to go hang out with bon jovi in the academy uh, as part of a deluxe fan package mm-hmm. uh, and which has many many benefits by the way and the one that I'm most intrigued by is the custom made lanyard that you get to wear the custom tour lanyard there there frankly isn't a lot else because i mean like you, you get access to the Guinness storehouse for for a self-guided tour excellent and uh, no transfers. In Does Bon Jovi go with you? Does Bon Jovi go around the tour with you? No, I don't. Ask him what things are. No, I don't think you even get a bus out to the storehouse. You have to look after yourself. In Dublin 8. <laughs> Best of luck. I live there. <laughs> so I'm allowed to say that. Dublin 8's great, by the way. Pigeons. The pigeons in Dublin 8 don't give a fuck. But uh, they, they will come right at you. They don't care. But that Bon Jovi package, by the way, might sound ridiculous, but uh, sold out. Yeah. Granted, it's probably to about 10 people, 10 diehard superfans, but my God. <sighs> Talk about devotion. Yeah, no, it, it is slightly mental. Mm. Um, they also, of course, have uh, packages going above two grand if you want something like hotel looked after. Again, does Bon Jovi go to the hotel with you? Like, is, is that, I, does, I does he carry your bags up the stairs? I'd want that for two grand. Absolutely. I would want Bon Jovi as my butler for the weekend. <laughs> uh, bon Jovi was my first ever gig. Really? In uh, the ODS Outdoor and I want to say like 96 or 97, supported by a young Bell X1 and Andreas Johnson, Scandinavian pop star of glorious. glorious fame. Let's have a listen to Glorious, shall we? Was that a bit of a tune? Absolute banger. And especially when they uh, reused it for the Premier League ads in, I'm going to say, like 2001, something like that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I hope I hope he's still living living well off that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, at one point uh, during that Bon Jovi gig, by the way, it was Lash and Rain. It was one of those summer nights. First ever gig. It was all, you know, vivid and interesting. I should stress that a friend of mine was a big fan. Not so much me, but I enjoyed the gig. 
Um, and at one point, like, you know, Bon Jovi was going on one of these ridiculous Bon Jovi speeches where he was, like, saying, you know, this song goes out to all the angels out there. And at that moment, a lightning strike happened. The crowd went apeshit. And he goes, you sure got some powerful friends here in Dublin. And it was perfect for the occasion. I never need to see it again. But, you know, fair play to the guy. That's what 1500 tickets will buy you, I guess. <laughs> Act of God. Yeah, and just before we move on, by the way, uh, in honour of Tudor Cinema Club, and indeed with uh, Bon Jovi kind of making an appearance, yeah, there'll be uh, the top ten tribute band names coming up a little later. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, do you know what I was looking forward to before we move into news? I was looking forward to going and see 2001 A Space Odyssey, 70mm print in the IFI, which I did earlier in the week. The only reason I'm mentioning this on a music podcast is... Is to, is to demonstrate how much of a hipster you are. <laughs> Uh, 70 millimeter, man. Uh, fuck you. Uh, okay, so, uh, no, because loudest thing I've ever heard in the cinema. Loudest thing I've ever heard. Really? It, it, it's insane. Have you seen the film? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the bit with the monolith screens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when they, you know, they go take a photograph with it halfway through the movie. Uh, the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. I genuinely was like, people around me were covering their ears. I thought my ears were going to start bleeding. Uh, the next day, I was uh, in work, and the fridge in the office was making a weird noise. I thought I had uh, tinnitus. I freaked out for about five minutes, realized it was a fridge. Thank you, fridge. Dick move, fridge. Go see 2001 in 70mm if you can, but bring earplugs. It was louder than Mogwai at the Olympia last year. <laughs> and only the only thing that kind of bothered my ears more than that on this, the day after or whatever it was, was seeing The Last Shadow Puppets, who we discussed last week. I was very quiet during that review section because I hadn't really bothered with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm never going to bother with them again. They appeared on Late Night with Seth Meyers. They played a song called Bad Habits. And if you want to see the worst performance of 2016, and maybe even the entire decade, go and watch that three minutes. If you if you get through it, if you manage to suffer through those three minutes, I applaud you. I they are say, awful, and they should be stopped. I must say it was absolutely shocking. I will add that, A, it isn't the sort of performance that you should judge the album off or the band off. I think they were probably egging each other on to be that ridiculous and ramshackle. Um, It didn't do the song justice. It certainly didn't do themselves justice. Um, But yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely horrendous. But it's worth a watch for that alone. Yeah, you know, what can you do? Miles Kane has a career because his friend is more talented and has a bigger fan base. Good for you, Miles. Let's talk about the news. We really need a sting for the news. Maybe we can have one. Like a proper news bulletin sting. Yeah, really, kind of like, you know, the music in Robocop. Like, that's not how it goes at all. I'm looking forward to listening to this back in post-production, seeing what they've actually made for us. It's probably just going to be something to mock us, basically. I hope so. It's I probably so. going to be your voice. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, please make it be Dave's voice. Speaking leave. of mockery, <laughs> let's talk about... <laughs> yeah, well, he's been on the receiving the man. end of mockery for uh, Bono. Bono appeared in front of the US Senate our national saint yeah and he had some interesting ideas of uh, how they could potentially deal with ISIS take a listen Uh, don't laugh but I think uh, comedy should be deployed (laughs) because if you look at uh, national socialism and Daesh and and ISIL this, this is the same thing we've seen this before we've seen this before very vain, they've got all the signs up there, really it's, it's, it's show business and the first people that um, the, 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 the Weimar the, uh, the Adolf Hitler threw out of Germany were the Dadas and the Surrealists it's like you speak violence, you speak their language but you laugh at them when they're goose stepping down the street and it takes away their power 
So I'm, I'm suggesting that the Senate send in Amy Schumer and Chris Rock <laughs> and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Thank you. <laughs> um, actually, that's not the first time I've heard um, experts on how Thank do we you. counter violent extremism talk about I'm actually about serious. That. Yeah. Um, not about the no, it, three and, characters. And it is one of the things that I know we're looking at. Dave, makes sense? <laughs> okay, well, the first thing we should say is this. He's clearly being a bit facetious at the end there. Yes. And a lot of people have been, like, rushing to his defense because of that. And, and you know what? Like, I have it in front of me here. Written down, it sounds terrible. It sounds like he's literally going, no, no, don't laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at that on paper, if you look at that on paper, fair enough. You think, as the Guardian ever quick with a think piece about 24 hours later, we're suggesting that he has lost the plot. Lock him up. Um, I still think his overall contention is really naive and stupid i get what he's saying don't make martyrs of them you know don't give them what they want they want violence and bloodshed and carnage and by the way this is the most political we're ever going to get on this show just so, just so you know uh but come on i mean it's 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 too much it's too bono it's too bono trying to be funny it's too bono trying to be kind of like witty and like you know wrap a velvet blanket over everybody and tell them it's all gonna be okay in his inimitable style it's too much. It's peak Bono nonsense. It, it, it is pretty poor. Again, like I, I do understand what he's saying, and I understand the role that satire can have. I understand the role that uh, basically what can pretty much be summed up as kind of you know anti-propaganda movement, essentially, that you know if we kind of combat the seriousness of ISIS with something a little more light-hearted, that it'll take some of the sting out of it. I understand it in that way. He did make his point very well, I think there's also real sensitivity that probably could and should have been shown and hasn't been brought up as frequently as I expected of uh, the Charlie Hebdo massacre, which was basically the definition of guys who tried to combat terrorism with comedy and uh, ultimately paid a a pretty horrific price. Um, The main question that we really have to discuss is why was Bono there? Well, what's I w- going on? Of course, we've asked this question before about Bono. He manages to get in front of the most powerful people in the world, and they listen to him. They take him seriously. Like he's done a lot of work. I, 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 I believe the man cares about the world. Um, you know, I don't know him. I don't know him personally. I don't really care. You two aren't exactly anything I've got any great love or hatred for. But yeah, like that's a question as old as time itself, isn't it? Why is Bono in the mix? Because he's Bono. He just does what he pleases. And I think in this situation, it, we should just be thankful that no one went, yeah, fucking grand. Get him. Get Michael McIntyre on that plane. Are you, hang on now, are you actually saying you'd be complaining if they sent Michael McIntyre on a plane I don't want to, see to Michael, go in front of voices? Look, I don't, I, I'm not advocating the public burning of Michael McIntyre. Maybe they'd be so distracted by his skipping up and down the stage. Terrible as his comedy is. <laughs> and as long, okay, as long as I knew that we're get, we get him back unharmed, send Stuart Lee over, you know? I love Stuart Lee. His, I, I think he's the best comedian out there. Yeah. If anyone's going to get through to them with a long-winded monologue that tests the patience and doesn't get killed, then you have to award Stuart Lee some kind of, you know, uber-mega Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, it could well be him. See, I sound ridiculous because this is ridiculous. And Bono saying these things is absolutely ridiculous. Why... Why? Yeah, you know what? I'm back to you. Why was he allowed into the building? I like, no do, you, do, you reckon, do you reckon his pass has been revoked now? No. No, that was the worst thing about it. One of them Oh, was, Bono, you rascal. Yeah, one of them was like, oh, we've heard this idea before and it's something we're thinking about. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
brilliantly her name is Jean Shaheen or as Stephen Colbert used to refer to her the world's shortest poem <laughs> oh, that's good maybe uh, Bono can because like you know ISIS are obviously very good at propaganda you know they clearly have very good editing suites right. so you know so they're hip and savvy to modern technology so maybe Bono should just put U2's next album onto all those computers and you know that'll be it they'll surrender um, in terms of long-winded monologues as mentioned with Stuart Lee there's another one from uh, Father John Misty Good old Father John. Uh, he talked about uh, dropping LSD. A hero's dose of LSD. He's such a character, isn't he? He's such a character. Like You, you know like, what? I must say, I like the guy. So do I. Yeah. And he's made two great albums. Yeah. But you read stuff like this every now and then, and you're kind of like, we get it, man. You take drugs. The other thing is that definitively, like, I mean, somebody telling you about their LSD trip is a bit like your girlfriend telling you about her dream, where you're just like, shut up, it means nothing, I don't want to hear this. Is this how you talk to your girlfriend? Thankfully, my girlfriend doesn't tell me about her dreams. If she, if she did, did, if she did, well, if if she did, I'm not sure she'd still be my girlfriend. <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where it's just it doesn't matter. Yeah, this, this is nonsense. It's a bit like someone following you and reading your horoscope out loud or something. To clarify, Father John Miskew was interviewed by Rolling Stone, and he said that he met a bunch of people in Taylor Swift's crew at a Melbourne bar who invited him to one of her shows. Once there, he took that aforementioned hero's dose, quote-unquote, of LSD, and let Taylor Swift's stage presence wash over him. Did he enjoy it? Uh, it's hard to tell. Arguable, yeah, arguable. Yeah, there, there was two sides to it, apparently. He said uh, it was holy and psychedelic. She fully impregnated my dilated soul. You see, this is what you don't <laughs> fucking need. She fully impregnated my dilated soul with her ideology. I think that's, that's a bonus track on his last album, isn't I, it? Yeah, to be perfectly honest, it sounds like a line from one of his songs, all right. Um, and it sounds very euphemistic at that. He remembers laughing uncontrollably and thinking you need to get back in there. And, and then he said as well, though, that there was a disturbing aspect um, that if you wanted to curate an evening with the grand leader, this is what you do. It's a very, very false normal, and that's dangerous. He said that in reference to the fact that at one point she was leading the crowd on and essentially saying, telling girls in particular, you know, I'm normal. Don't let anyone tell you what you should be, which you've seen that firsthand at her show. Yeah. She very much rallies. It's girl power for the, for the for the modern age. It is. And it's also self-aggrandizing, not self-aggrandizing, self-promoting Taylor Swift power. And actually, interestingly enough, she spoke out uh, very recently. She's on the cover of Vogue for this month. And, of course, her beef with Kanye West was brought up. Kanye! And she kind of played it down, saying that she doesn't want to get into it anymore. Yeah. What's been said has been said. There's not, not much more to say. She did refer to her speech at the Grammys, though, uh, in which she very much kind of said, you know, in this industry, people are going to take advantage of you, you being women, which, of course, we've seen a lot of ugly sides of that lately Mm -hmm. with Kesha and with Grimes uh, today saying that many producers have tried to blackmail her into sexual relations. Mm -hmm. So this is a real thing. We know that it is, unfortunately. And essentially, she was saying that that's why she said what she said. Now, granted, I think she absolutely has valid points there of course and again unfortunately yeah. they are valid for horrible reasons however the one thing about that speech at the grammys though uh it reminded me of amy adams's performance in cruel intentions too in as much as you haven't seen more stilted obviously rehearsed badly delivered line delivery well i mean look i'd agree with you on that but here's the thing if if lady gaga had said it in a meat suit or if lady gaga came out with her you know like i'm normal and don't tell anyone what you should be People tend to praise her because it's out there and so on and so forth because Taylor Swift is a good-looking and very polished sort of personality from the outside. I think those sorts of uh, pieces of advice and missives don't go down so well. That's true. And 
obviously, yeah, with, with Taylor Swift, there's a lot more, you know, you're buying a product, you're buying a flashy product. Lady Gaga is known for pouring so much into art. It's all art. And, and to be fair, she puts pretty much the majority of her money into her shows and into her work. Uh, so maybe that's why she tells a more true artist. But you're always going to have that on different ends of the pop spectrum. On, uh, as for Father John Misty, do you reckon he'll be on the next album or she'll be on the next album? On Taylor Swift. Because this isn't really, it doesn't really feel like he's picking a big fight. I think he's just speaking out and being Father John Misty. Yeah, he's just being a bit of a chancer as he normally is. Uh, I can't really see him being on a Taylor Swift album, to I be can. honest. I, abs- I can see him being in a video. I, 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 I absolutely can. I can. I see that, to be honest, as being the sort of through the looking glass moment for Father John Misty. If If that happens, it just becomes too much basically can you do the can you do the world in this podcast a favor the next time you go see Taylor Swift will you drop some LSD take a hero's dose if I can get tickets to two nights I will enjoy the first one and take a hero's dose fantastic there's been there's been some other uh, bad blood if you will uh, (laughs) brewing between people this week in the world of music Ice Cube and Gene Simmons yeah so it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions at the weekend and uh, NWA uh, were honoured now that is a little odd we have to say from the very start is it, though? I mean, like, this is the whole point of the argument. The whole point of the argument is that, you know, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You're not allowed to have black people in there. You're not allowed to have rappers in there. You're not allowed to have hip-hop people in there. You're not allowed to have women in there. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, man. It's for lads. Lads with leather jackets and guitars, and that's it. So this is kind of the age-old argument of, is rock rap, uh, as played by Kanye West. Kanye! Before, and uh, now as played by Ice Cube and Gene Simmons, because uh, Simmons basically came out and said that, you know, NWA shouldn't be there he said before that he's looking forward to the death of rap and uh, then said you know if uh, rock bands can make rap hall of fames and stuff like that then this is fair otherwise they're two separate entities and uh, obviously Ice Cube didn't like that of course Ice Cube didn't like that no he quoted himself he said that during his speech that rock and roll is not an instrument it's not even a style of music it's a spirit that's been going on since the blues jazz bebop soul rock and roll R&B heavy metal punk rock and yes hip hop rock and roll is not conforming to the people who came before you but creating your own path in music and life that is rock and roll and that is us they've been firing back and forth each other on twitter and Simmons, as you say, is very much going down the segregation route of being like, put this into this, put this into that, put this country singer here, yeah. put this pop singer there. Like, I, I just find that this is such a tired, like, why does anyone give a shit? I mean, like, I, I'm not sure anybody's does if we're perfect. Well, honest. Gene Simmons and, does. I mean, like, like yeah, and that's it. Exactly. Gene Simmons is the, the ultimate, one person the ultimate rent to. a quote. And I mean, ultimately, this ends two ways. It either ends with nothing happening, which is how it's going to end, or it ends with uh, Kiss and NWA becoming the new Aerosmith slash run DMC and releasing a song together. Yeah, I don't really see Kiss uh Getting getting back to that level anytime soon. The but. Uh, the AV Club when they reported on this story ended their report on it in quite witty fashion. They said, "Well, it's not clear whether in Simmons' mind America should be nothing but increasingly niche halls of fame, racing each other toward irrelevance and fighting over who gets to claim Elvis." One thing is certain: nothing says rock and roll at the Star Barbershop Three and a blood vomiting mummy man arguing on their phones. So there you go. It is kind of one of the things where it's like, lads, just move on. Yeah. Uh, and very brief mention as well of uh, a- another rather unimpressive scrap, I think. Very unimpressive. Very, very unimpressive indeed. Uh, Justin Bieber has been out on tour and uh, has brought Post Malone with him. Yeah, Post Malone of the Headstuff <laughs> Top 25 Songs of 2015 fame. White Iverson is in there. That's a great song. It's a great tune. He also is one of the better features on Kanye West, The Life of Pablo. He appears on Fade, the final track, and he has a little small bit which sounds absolutely incredible and I can't get enough of it. But yeah, he's been the opening act for Bieber on his Purpose tour. 
and they were photographed together in a club. Yeah, Bieber basically seemed to ash a cigarette on uh, Post's arm. Which was a bad call. Uh, well, it seems so, because uh, Post Malone stood up and uh, choked Bieber. Grabbed him by the quickly. throat. There's a great photograph of him grabbing him by the throat, and the internet went crazy and said, oh my god, this is obviously a big beef. Uh, how's the tour going to continue? Uh, Post Malone very quickly went onto Twitter and said, I love Justin, y'all tripping, lol. He's my big brother. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's my big brother, and we like to roughhouse. If we was fighting, someone would have done something instead of just sit around while the Beebs gets choke slammed. Crying laugh emoji X three. End of story. I love just more than life. Heart emoticon. And the mixtape is on the precipice of release in block capitals. God bless my fans. One more heart emoticon for good value. And also for his part, Justin Bieber has posted a photograph to Instagram of him choking out Post Malone. It's just boys will be boys, man. That's all it is, yeah? Yeah, just playing. Just playing. So, yeah, I guess the only place to go after all that ludicrousness, after all that ridiculousness, has to be Cullen Regan's top ten of the week. Yeah, so this time we're doing uh, my 10 favourite names of tribute bands. Now, obviously, this is less exhaustive than the NFL one, simply because I, I fear I fear that we've peaked with it, that top it's, 10. It's true. Not, th- not too many things are as funny as that. You've but, set so, yourself quite the bar here, Yeah, once, once again, I've set a bar for these uh, entries as well. Uh, so, basically, I was looking for things that are referencing the fact that they are a tribute band in the name. So, uh, as in, you know, not just like a name that's close to a real band. Well, I hope that th- this one isn't as structurally compromised as last week's one, because we all know what happened there. Well, if You anybody, cost a man his career. Well, if somebody breaks up over the weekend, what can I say? Debrickashaw oh. Ferguson's livelihood has been taken away from him because of you. Because yeah. of a funny list that you did in a podcast. Sorry, Debrick. If, if you're listening to Debrickashaw, you can come over, we can, we, we can make this right. We can sort it out. Cullum is very sorry. Yeah. The other thing about this list as well is that... Uh, they have to actually be like the band and not some sort of like novelty spin-off. So there's no Hazy Dixie or Red Hot Chili Pipers or something like that. Okay, I feel like this is complicated. It's not. Uh, number 10 is Tom Petty tri- tribute band called uh, Petty Theft. Okay. Number 9 is uh, Fleetwood Mock. Right. Number 8, Non Jovi. Oh, do they charge €1,500 for a meet and greet? I just don't know, to be perfectly honest. I wonder. Maybe if they charge 1500 you actually get Bon Jovi in a two-door cinema club fashion. Perfect. Uh, number seven, we've got our Earth Wind for Hire. Excellent. That's that's really good. That's strong. Uh, number six, we've got the Faux Fighters. Not bad. Uh, number five, I just really enjoyed being a Sunderland fan. Uh, they're a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers band, uh, our cover band in the northwest of England, uh, called the Retot Chili Peppers. Not into it. Oasis. Oasis. That's okay. That's number four. That's okay. Number three is a Fake No More. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Number two is the Kaiser Thieves. That's good. And number one, my favourite, Proxy Music. That's very good. Okay. Okay, I'll let you away with that one. Pass Monster. I'll let you away with that one. I'll let you away with that one. So, I guess at this point, it's time for the song of the week. The track of the week. And it comes to us by a new supergroup, Cullum. A new supergroup called Minor Victories. Yeah, that's right. So it's a bunch of people. Uh, Rachel Goswell from Slow Dive. There's uh, Stuart Braithwaite from Mogwai. Uh, there's Justin Lockie from Editors and his brother, James Lockie, of Handheld Cine Club. So with that one, if you might be expecting this to sound epic and be full of swells and be very shoegazy and kind of take a while to get going and it has epic kick-ins and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. This is Folk Arp.
Okay, that was Minor Victories. The song is called Folk Arp. They are a supergroup of a shoegaze fashion. Their album comes out in June. Stuart Brightway from Mogwai is part of that band, and I've interviewed the man twice. I know I realise this podcast is fast becoming me going, I've interviewed such and such, but uh, I feel like he's worth special mention because, first of all, Mogwai are near and dear to my heart. Uh, I adore them. They're fantastic. I finally got to see them live in a proper venue last year, and it was absolutely amazing. Stuart Braithwaite, though, uh, lovely, lovely man, gentleman, intelligent guy, cool guy. I've interviewed him twice, once on the phone, once in front of a studio audience. The thing to know about Stuart Braithwaite is takes his time between answers. Very, very kind of considered kind of guy. Uh, like, he'll really think about it, and he'll take about 30 seconds, and he'll look to the heavens, and then he'll come back to you, and he'll go, I don't know, really. And that can be death when you're dealing with a live studio audience. I ran out of my questions in front of a, like a packed tent of Mogwai fans. And I genuinely was like, okay, what am I going to ask him next? Can I ask, to be honest, how did you run out of questions when he was taking so long between each one? Because his answers were really, really short after that. And he kind of burned through them. Um, and he wasn't being difficult or anything. I think it's just his style. Uh, like I say, you know, when he gets going, he's very, very interesting and cool. But at one point, I, f- I found myself kind of going, oh, God. And I, I went, uh, um, do, uh, do, you, do, do you still hate Blur? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, uh, next question. And then someone in the audience asked him a weird question about like a pedal that he bought on eBay. It was reminiscent of that bit in The Simpsons where Homer's on Itchy and Scratchy and they're like, Mr. Simpson, do you know how to get out of the Itchy and Scratchy mm-hmm. CD-ROM without <laughs> using the wizard key? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It was basically like, nothing to do with me, mate. Take it up with eBay. But uh, he's a great guy. They're a really interesting band. I, I really, really like the song. I kind of fell in love with it straight away. Yeah, uh, no, I like it as well. Um Editors, Justin Lockie involved as well, and uh, they worked with uh, Rachel Goswell of Slow Dive on their last album. Uh, they were kind of uh, mutual admiration uh, kind of for a while between the two bands. So they hooked up, and I guess that probably led uh, to some of this, his brother being involved as well. And uh, yeah, the, the album is out at the start of June, and I think it's something to look forward to. I mean, whether or not it's going to kind of stand on its own feet if everything is like that song, I'm not absolutely sure. I think that's something that can maybe get a little bit repetitive when everything relies on that dynamism to carry it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's certainly something that I'm looking forward to hearing. At least you know they sound like one big happy atmospheric family. Another person who likes the song is our special guest who's just joined us. Everybody, it's Rory Lynch, aka Bantam. Ow! Hello, welcome along, sir. Thanks for the round of applause, guys. Very, very welcome. You you earned it. Oh, thanks. By thanks. being silent as we rattled on there for about two and a half minutes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love that song. I hadn't heard of it until yesterday when you showed it to me, and it's amazing. And I was like, this is the song of the week, so you better like it. Yeah, I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'd agree with you. It's really good. I like the video as well. Video's cool. Yeah. Um, I was only talking to a friend of mine about a treatment for a video that we're thinking of, and it was that kind of tr- treatment, that m- totally minimal black and white treatment was something we looked at, and it really suits the song. I, I think it gives more focus on the song itself, you know? Indeed. So you just mentioned, yeah, you're 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 building up towards a, a video treatment. Uh, what have you got going on lately? Um, well, lately, look, I've released that song with Loa about two two months ago. Um, so sorry, uh, that song, by the way, sounds like this.
most delicate moment. My soul's embroidery, my soul's embroidery. Not bad, not bad, Colin. What do you think? That's banging tune, alright. It's alright, yeah. yeah, it'll do. It's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of putting out another release in July. Um, it'll just be me. I think the, the plan always was for myself and Loa to do this track and then go our separate ways, do our own separate releases, be they EPs or LPs or more singles. So um, I'm in two minds. I'm thinking either an LP or an EP. Uh, right. It depends on how I go over the summer, but I'm going to put out a single release in July. So well, that's, that's for anyone for anyone who doesn't isn't too familiar with your work, first of all, shame on you. Um, I guess your background is production. I mean, like like yeah. we, we talked about this before, and I was like, you know, are you a DJ? Are you a producer? Do you have any kind of between the two? And you're very strictly well, not strictly, but you're kind of like, yeah, no, it's it's producer. I'm a producer. Done. Yeah, it's producer, but. You know, I've got. I started out in bands. I played guitar. Guitar is still my main instrument, but when you hear my music, I guess synthesizers and stuff are the the prevalent things. You know, um, but you said that this studio reminds me of your old band room, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just the same old padding and stuff like that, and it's roasting hot as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is this kind of like from early on? Because I know you're a corkman like myself, right? Yeah. You can hear by our accents, like. naturally. Uh, yeah. uh, you're not a city boy, though. I don't no, hear Cork accent. I don't, I, I don't hear Cork yeah. accent in either of you, especially you, Colin. I've actually had people like say, "There's no way Colin Regan is from Cork," not with that Dublin accent. Yeah, he's no, carrying nobody around. expects me to be from Cork. To be fair, I don't know what that says. Um, I don't know what they're expecting. But uh, you nailed it last week when you did that impression of the person at the festival with you who wanted to go and see the Guillemots. Well, of course, I, I, like, I, <laughs> I, I grew up in Cork, and yeah, I know what Cork people often sound like. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm not sure, but it's not me. Well, now that I brought two core people together, I expect you to become best friends. That's how that works, isn't it? Yeah, and what's yeah. more, we're probably going to get more and more core as the That's, show yeah, goes on. Yeah, I think the, the pitches are going to go higher. Yeah, voices, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Just don't, don't surprise us, Dave. That's what you yeah. really need to keep in mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like starting out in Bandon. Um, Bandon? Musical hotbed? Um, not really. What's Bandon famous for? It's famous for... Graham Norton and Graham Norton and Protestants, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took the words right out of my mouth. Um, no, I mean, as like I've got fond memories as a, as a kid of just playing really bad covers in really bad bands, um, playing really bad metal songs. Everything was really bad, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know? So what led you towards the kind of more electronic end of things? Um, I, you know, while I was listening to, you know, heavy metal and stuff like that as a teenager, I'd always got kept an eye on you know i suppose the starting thing was fat boy slim that kind of stuff chemical brothers which i'm actually going back to now uh left field you know later on then hip-hop beastie boys cypress hill all, you know the stuff you'd see on the on the t-shirts as a kid on paul street in cork um i'd always been intrigued by that but i just didn't have a clue how they did it the prodigy as well they were like the first band i ever saw and porky Queeve supporting oasis blew my mind but, you know, I'd see that and I'd always think, how the hell do you do that? And in my mind, I have this image of a producer sitting in a space station, you know, making these amazing techno tunes. So I just put that aside and just played guitar for years uh, in bands um, really badly. You and did then, uh, You did flirt with new metal, though. I've Not only did I flirt with it, I embraced it. <laughs> well, you actually embraced it as close as actually the last few days because I saw you yourself and James Vincent McMorrow. Ha- did, having yeah. quite the back and forth about new metal. I've been having these conversations a lot lately. I don't know what's been happening. Like my friend Keith Lawler as well, he was the drummer in Give Man a Kick. Mm. 
Um, he's a friend of mine as well, and we popped. I popped over to his house, and we ended up watching a documentary on new metal for an hour. You know, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Do you feel we're due a revival or something? Um, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to that later on with the uh, the Deftones thing, but uh, yeah, I look back on it fondly. You know, ninety nine percent of the bands were terrible. But, you know, every once in a while, like with Spotify and with the internet itself, it's, you know, I'll get this notion to look back on or just check up on a band to see if they're still going or if they're even still alive or something. And you, you can just go on Spotify and look up Cold Chamber's entire back catalog. Yeah, but just, unfortunately, then you kind of fall down that rabbit hole. And then you go hole, down that you? rabbit hole. I yeah. fell down that rabbit hole last night. I tweeted about it. I lost followers. It was a very ugly situation. But I, <laughs> no. I, I regret nothing. I listened to, like, Dope by Debonair, Giving oh, wow. In by Edema. Remember Jonathan Davis's half brother had a band, Edema. Oh, yeah, they had like yeah, two yeah. songs. Uh, Orgy's cover of Blue Monday. Oh man, that yeah, was, that was that was all over the place at the time, wasn't it? it was White on, the rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, yeah. Just cold chamber for me. I've been going down that rabbit hole. It's terrible. <laughs> so so <laughs> does, does this stuff happen to you when you're actually making music? Because obviously it's a solo venture. Yeah. Do you end up disappearing down rabbit holes of your own creation, so to speak? Or disappearing up my own rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> what you were trying you to ask there, Colin. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. It's, you know, producers, you, if you're working on drums, I find, you know, there sometimes you can listen to a hi-hat for, or you can be lo- going through libraries and libraries of different sounds for hours and hours and you'll come back with nothing, you know. That's the, the rabbit hole that I, I'm talking about. Other times... Like at the moment, I'm I'm listening to other, a lot of funk, a lot of as I said, a lot of Chemical Brothers, just to um, kind of look at song structures and things like that. Because I'm feeling what I'm working on lately is kind of um, going along those lines, you know. So I'm trying to see what works and what doesn't. So I can go down these pointless rabbit holes, or I can go down these more research-based right things, you know, something that's actually going to bear fruit. Something that's the actually going to be useful yeah as opposed to pointless in terms of uh what you are working on at the moment you said that you know kind of yourself and Noah went separate ways after take it um yeah. does that still give us an idea of what to expect or is it moving in a, in a in a rapidly different direction um it does yeah there's a lot of a lot of funk influences um that i've been bringing in uh that that weren't there before i think and um just that the reaction to the lower song as well has kind of altered how i how i'm approaching things as well in terms of production and songwriting and um instrumentation and things like that do so, you mean uh do you mean the critical reaction to that because like it did it, people very much raved about that track but is that something that you would actually be conscious of like writing for critics like writing for no it's more my friends you know my my close friends are my first critics you know uh, like i'll, t- I'll t- i have this tight group of friends that I send ideas to and they'll instantly tell me if something's great or it's dog shit Um, so you know because I'm on on my own I need reaction you know if you're in a band you've got three other guys or three other girls with you and you can throw ideas at them so in that sense you know the my friends' reactions initially that's kind of that's been influencing how I'm going what's the uh, the harshest rejection one of your friends has ever given you um, I can't say. I'll tell you after. <laughs> <laughs> it's that bad, folks. I'll get I, it. I'll, I'll actually get into trouble for um, it. I mean, when you're talking then about sort of, you know, getting that sort of feedback and obviously working on your own, and so then having, you know, I won't say validation as it were, but people giving their opinions on yeah. how good your work has been. Um, when you sort of made a decision like we're going to make the song and then move on, was there moments after take it where you were like? 
shit, maybe we should actually just stick together for a bit here. Well, it, it wasn't like set in stone, you know, mm-hmm. um, but we were always going to uh, do our own things with the option of doing something again together, you know, like Loa is open to that. It just depends on um, the ideas that I have working with her. Um, so at the moment, you know, I'm working with a couple of other people at the moment, so that's the focus. But okay. I'm being really vague here, but yeah, can't can't rule things out with Loa. Is it the right. case though? Like, I mean, like obviously, producers, DJs, kind of solo artists tend to flock, I guess, to featured artists. Like, I mean, like like it's kind of one of those things where you expect to see the likes of Dahi and other people of a similar kind of nature to have FT next to the, a lot mm. of their tracks. I mean, like, is there a danger of oversaturating that, of having too many kind of guests and too many different voices kind of into the mix, and where you almost kind of get lost a bit yourself? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, even bringing up the the FT thing, you know, myself or Sally and, and myself, we we discussed that. You know, I didn't want really want it to be Bantam featuring Loa. Uh, like we wanted to be this. This was a collaborative fifty fifty effort. Effort. So it's Bantam and Loa. That's that's how I try to emphasize it. You know. I know somebody who once had a conversation with uh, the late, great Tony Fenton and uh, asked him, you know, Tony, who are you enjoying lately? Any bands or artists that you're particularly fond of? And uh, he said, I really enjoy anything featured. (laughs) Featuring brilliant. (laughs) Featuring Sia. Featuring Pussycat Dolls. All of it. Excellent. Was he making a like satirical point here? I don't or? think so. I think he just really liked songs that had guest vocalists. Also, how long have you been waiting to do an impression of Tony Fenton on this podcast? I, I honestly haven't been waiting. Um, if it, And let me put it this it's way. not bad. If I had been, I would have reeled out a number of Tony Fenton stories by now because they're all hilarious. There was a time when Tom Dunn ended up at a hospital and Tony Fenton had to give the nurses details. And at the point where the nurse said, uh, and what does your friend do for a living? And Tony Fenton answered, uh, DJ. No, wait, top DJ. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought of that last night when I was delivered my census form. I just thought, how badly do I want to put top journalist on this? Please tell me you did. I haven't filled out my census form yet because I'm a law-abiding citizen and won't do so until the Sunday of the census. I hope that uh, when you're putting out your census form, Rory, that you put featuring for your housemates. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> top DJ featuring. Yeah. <laughs> top, top DJ. Thanks for reminding me about the census form as well. Oh, uh, hey, everyone, yeah. do your census. It, it, <laughs> it's a big deal. Public duty, folks. You know, you have to do it. It's like jury duty. You just got to do it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like, that's kind of one of those things where, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, not to disparage the use of featured artists or anything. Like, Galaxy brought out the club and there's quite a lot of featured yeah. artists on there and it totally works. Although I do think that Mick from the Galaxy has, like, really settled into his own voice. I think the best track on that record, Put the Chain On, for me, doesn't have a featured artist. But I mean, like, yeah, so are you kind of like, okay. And as Cullum says, with the reaction to take it, doing, you know, people seem to really, really dig that track. So are you like, well, no. I kind of need more of this than I originally anticipated. Uh, no. Um, that's why the, like, the next couple of releases well, that I'm going to do are just going to be me. Uh, they'll, they'll be mostly instrumental. I, the next release, or the next EP and LP, if it does feature that track with Loa, it'll feature maybe one other track um, featuring right. people, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess the difference revolves around whether or not you finish a track or are getting somewhere with a track and think, oh, you know, yeah, a vocal yeah. line might fit here. Exactly. Or if you sit down from the start and say, right, I'm going to write around somebody else. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the, the the latest bunch of ideas that I've been doing, you know, there's I've, I haven't sat down and gone, right, I'm going to write this for 
this person, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm, mm. I, I really kind of feel things out and see how things go. Uh, even if I do think it'll suit someone else, if I do reach out to them and, and they don't like it, fine, you know, I'll move on. Um, so, there, yeah, there's no real master plan in that sense. And, you know, even the, the next release that I'm, I'm going to put out, which I think I will put out, it's just me. Um, okay. And it's... It's kind of. It's, I feel like it's a good progression for myself. As July well. is the plan for that one. July, yeah. And uh, are we going to get first play? You are. <laughs> Sweet. That's settled then. Let's move, let's move on before that, we can take it back. That's all you I want, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Just like your pound of flesh. That's the kind of that's the kind of podcast co-host you are. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. Come on, we're friends. We're from Cork. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. You know, we're looking uh, after one another. The I'm Cork, not from Cork, the Cork so Mafia. I don't understand how the Cork thing works. Like, it's it's very, very much an, an intimidating thing to, to even witness, <laughs> to even bear witness to. But uh, yeah, so we're not going to see like I, like we're not going to see the next video. You kind of milling about with some Beats headphones and some some big product placement. Then you're not going to get down the the Irish Calvin Harris route anytime soon. We we, we don't have to fear that, do we? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> Beats, if you're listening, uh, yeah. If he's offered, if you're offering money, then I will do it. But uh, what, what have I done? Yeah, <laughs> I've just taken his artistic yeah. integrity and I've thrown. Him wearing, be- I would dress up as Beats headphones if they started paying me. To be perfectly honest, yeah. what's going on? Okay, like, 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 like actually, integrity, of, guys. Speaking of Cork, you know Beats. I don't know if they still do, but Beats used to have an office in West Cork. Oh, really? Yeah, in Clonakilty. I think it was like for legal reasons or something. They had to have some place there <laughs> for tax dodging. For basically, tax dodging. Right. I'm going to get in so much. They're not going to give you headphones podcast. now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah, maybe we'd best move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so briefly, we kind of discussed earlier that uh, at the Tudor Cinema Club, uh, the, the crowd uh, got double thumbs up. They were absolutely fantastic. And that's not always the case. Uh, yeah, it's not always the case. There has been a story that kind of broke in like last week about a pop punk band at a gig in Toronto. We can't confirm whether Joshua Hughes of Headstuff and our good friend was at the gig. Well, to be fair, we actually can because we talk to Josh regularly. <laughs> he wasn't and you at know the gig. He would have come home and just gone, oh my God, the funniest thing happened tonight. It's my mission to send Josh to as many weird gigs as I possibly can while he's over there. He just missed out on going to a Hollywood Undead All Ages gig. And I was like, I'll pay for your ticket. Just go. We'll make an amazing Vice style piece. We can, <laughs> you know, we can live off this, man. We'll be famous. And then he couldn't go. But no, what happened in Toronto last week was actually pretty horrific. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, there is a debate as to just how bad it was. The optics are terrible. But basically what happened is uh, the story so far, who are a pop punk band, uh, were playing uh, in Toronto. Uh, Their fans basically get up on stage and then stage dive off into the crowd, so on. That's just what happens. Standard practice at these kind of gigs. Yeah, except for one girl who got up on stage and then decided to pause and take a selfie. Uh, frontman Parker Cannon apparently didn't like that and uh, basically kind of drop kicked her off. Yeah, and it's it's quite the, you know, Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat style. I saw the video too. Thrust yeah, kick yeah. into the back of this she, girl. She disappeared after that. She disappears. Yeah. You don't see her again. And, and the venue have since banned uh, the act, and they said they were appalled by the actions. But I guess, yeah, it, it. the thing is, as you say, these sort of gigs, getting up on stage and diving off is par for the course. Essentially. I'm not, I've never been into this scene at all. So I must say that seeing anyone get on stage looked a bit odd to me. Uh, I remember seeing Converge in Whelan's about four or five years ago. A terrific band. Their album Jane Doe is my favourite record. It's actually a great piece on the AV Club at the moment about that record that I would encourage people to go and read and listen to the record. 
Um, it was insane. <laughs> Myself and my friend Dave were there, and we were like, well, hang back, you know, we're getting too old for this, we'll just watch it. And of course, next thing you know, Smash Cut, we're in the front row, holding onto the band's monitor amps so that they wouldn't fall off the stage, the band themselves stepping on our fingers as we're doing so, uh, people getting onto the stage every five seconds and jumping off. One guy jumped, like, his back landed on the top of my head, which, you know, could have killed me. Um, and that's the kind of gig that that was, and it was an amazing show. I mean, like, I feel like the people that were there that weren't there to hurt anybody, uh, the members of Converge stepping on our hands, whatever, weren't doing it on purpose. No one got up to take a selfie with them, though, and, of course, that's how culture has kind of gone. I mean... It is interesting now to see the barrier between crowds and gigs effectively melt away. I I mentioned in the first episode with Overhead the Albatross that I went to see East India Youth in the Button Factory back in February. Mm. Uh, a terrific show. He's well, I think Will Doyle is a very underrated talent. But the crowd was bizarre, and there was three girls in particular who were just, I mean, I don't fucking know. It was their first gig. Were they on something? I don't know. But they're from the off, man. I've never seen such obnoxious behavior. And they were snapping selfies to beat the band. And there was a girl at one point sitting on the stage. And, like, there's no way that he didn't notice this. Security was, I guess, either... I don't think there was security. Um... So uh, yeah, yeah, the button factory don't really have. Yeah, there's no barriers there, and there was no security. And to be fair, you know, a fight's not really going to break an East India youth gig. You wouldn't imagine. But I mean, it begs the question: Is this how it's gone now? Like, are people just like getting onto the stage and like taking a photograph for their social profile? Like, like, are we supposed to allow this? I'm not advocating physical violence, but like, it's is it getting out of hand? I haven't seen. Well, like the, the gigs I go to, you know, they're like local Irish gigs. Mostly, you don't see that at all. Um... Uh, one thing that was noticeable at Girl Band in Vicar Street a couple of weeks ago was the complete lack of phones aloft in the audience. You know, I, th- I think it's a it's a crowd. It's you know different crowds, different age groups, maybe. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely something to do with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think as well. You know, towards the end of uh, well, sorry, I suppose towards the end of 2014, uh, started 2015. Um, I happened to see Hosier a couple of times. Um, and one gig in particular was just selfie central, really. It was yeah. anyone who wanted to be seen to be at a hosier gig was buying their ticket and was taking all the photos that they could so that they could be seen by as many people as possible to have been at a hosier show. And that is the way that, you know, it is to a certain extent now. I think it people depends on the act. want to be spotted, but... It depends on the act, I feel. I mean, hosier, codeline you know, bands like that, you know, walking on cars years on years, etc. They're probably going to draw the kind of crowd that, like, going to a gig is part of their Friday night. We'll sure. go for a meal, yeah. then we'll go to the gig, then we'll go to the pub. I mean, I, I'm not saying that people aren't excited to go to these gigs, but it's not a hardcore fandom. It's a social event. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Uh, like, we're hearing now a horrible possibility of, like, cinemas bringing in uh, phone-friendly screenings for people so that, they, that yeah. they can go and text during the during the thing or do whatever they want. Which, I mean, okay, if it, if it takes that subsection of society into just those screenings, fair enough, stay there. That's the other thing that I would say about gigs, is that I'm actually totally okay with the idea of somebody going with a relatively social aspect of going to a gig in mind, if they stand at the back and talk quietly. Yeah. That's I, and, and, I mean, that's a cliche. And, I mean, I know this because I used to do this myself. In Cork and Cypress Avenue, basically you have the room where the stage is, and then there's a bit of another room that kind was of around very the good corner. That that, yeah. Yeah, I will have the conversations around the corner, and when I want to see the band, I go around and watch the band and shut the hell up. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, the problem, you, 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 the you can be strategic as well about how you talk at the gig. Like, you know, you can very much be like, okay, this is loud, but I can be a little bit louder now. And like, oh, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like kind of being at the cinema. And like, obviously, I don't advocate talking at the cinema, but like, if you need to do it for some reason, like, mm. you pick your moments. I was right. at uh, I was at the Kino in Cork last week to see the Ross Gano family. You mm. you guys have probably talked about them earlier, yeah? No, we, 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 no we're, we're actually going to be talking about their album in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're yeah, like waiting they, for you. They managed to silence the crowd like twice with their. I, I'm sure you saw them do this at the Sugar Club. I actually have yet to see them. Have you seen them? No, I saw them at Forbidden Fruit last year. Ah, okay. And they were excellent. They did this amazing. It was like a spoken word performance piece and like on paper it sound that sounds terrible but it worked so well and the crowd like you could hear the voices die down in the crowd as well like people at the back were chatting away and people were kind of looking at them and then every, eventually everybody just shut up and watched them do their thing and it was cool it was so good yeah i mean it must be said as well that you hope that it's going to happen at gigs and it's disappointing when at something like east india youth that it doesn't yeah. prove to be so that basically there will be times where, as uh, as a performer, you're going to have to earn the silence, as it were, and you well, are going to have to shut people up a little bit. Well, Will Doyle had to do that. Like at yeah. one point, you know, like about oh, well, no, no, no. But I mean, as in, like, you know, he has to play well enough that people shut up, not that he has to say, "Hey, everyone." Yeah, which he did have to say about four talking. or five songs in. Like he shushed the crowd and was like, "He's like to hear that." That's the sound of people who pay money to go to a gig, uh, talking. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like you know. I understand you if, you if you do it at, like at a festival, you know. But like the Button Factory East India Youth, surely only the hardcore fans going to be there. I don't know what those girls were doing, but they knew all the fucking words. <laughs> really? Yeah, they were really into it. Like that, that's why it doesn't make any sense. It was so weird, and they didn't care. They didn't give a shit about anybody else, and they were clearly like getting people's way. And again, that's a more uh, incredibly annoying, but not as physically dangerous as it was for that poor girl who was kicked in the back by. That guy, who I believe has previous, I believe he's he's punched people before. Uh, this has obviously led to another debate about, you know, uh, the notion of, you know, hey, look, you know, anyone who gets on that stage, man or woman, teenager or older person, male or female, do, you know, you either deserve what you get or you don't. There's a famous clip of Maynard James Keenan during a Tool show where some guy gets on the stage and this is before smartphones, so he's not taking a selfie. He's just like, look at me on the stage, lads. And he's like jumping up and down, very happy with himself. And Mary James Keenan, mid-song, uh, goes over to him and like puts his arm around him. And the guy's like, oh, cool. He's got his arm around me. We're mates now. And Mary James Keenan then proceeds to do a judo throw, keeping the guy in place, taking him down on the ground, choking him out while still singing and not missing a note because Maynard James Keenan is not to be fucked with. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again... It it's interesting, like you know, you, you do that to a girl, you do that to a guy. Like like, is do we have a difference? Do we treat gender at gigs as a thing? I mean, like, how do we look at that? I mean, uh, to be fair, I think that you know certainly there aren't going to be separate rules in terms of can you get up on the stage for 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 men and women. So I find it difficult, especially if there's any reason to kind of be worried about someone getting on the stage next to you. Um, you know, your your reaction's always going to be the same. I think you've got to say something about security uh, in, in, in this particular instance. Where were uh, they? Yeah, and, and especially if it's going to be a gig where, you know, these sort of things are likely to happen. Are there ground rules that can be set out beforehand? I'm not sure. Clearly, people getting up on stage there was a very regular occurrence. So why this one in particular kind of got his, go, got his back up, uh, apart from the selfie, of course, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think for, for larger venues like that, in this day and age, they should have some semblance of security there. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm just thinking to the fallout on a larger scale to the fallout after the Paris attacks, you know, that kind of thing. Even going into at the drive-in in Vicker Street, we got um, patted down. Yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah. Never, I'd never seen that at a gig before in Ireland. Um, and I didn't know how to feel about it uh, going in. But for, for venues like the Button Factory, I, I don't know. Did they, I haven't been to a gig there in a while and they don't really have guys down the front no, to watch out. They don't. Yeah, yeah, not at all. You know, um, I do. I do think there should be some. More, like, I know maybe you know they're constrained on a budget level, but you know there should be something or someone there. Um, yeah, you would think so, and it rem- reminds me a little bit of kind of what happened in tennis way back in the day when Monica Sellers was attacked uh, at the side of the court, mm. and basically sport just completely overhauled what they were doing in terms of security and in terms of audience interaction and stuff like that. I'm not suggesting that this particular incident is going to be a similar catalyst in the music industry, but I guess something to think about uh, in, in, in terms of encouraging anybody to sort of be behaving in the way that that girl and indeed the rest of the crowd were doing that night. On a lighter note, though, uh, Rory mentioned at the drive-in there, and I should point out, though, I should give him his props, uh, halfway through One Arm Scissor, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, it would just be the greatest thing in the world right now if I turned around and Rory was back from the bar with it. Oh my god, he is! Handing me a fresh point midway through One Arm Scissor by Arthur Driving. I mean, that pretty much earned my Person of the Year award 2016 right there. You should have seen my face when I had two pints coming back into the crowd and they break into One Arm Scissor. Yeah. Oh my god. I went to the bar uh, and I was like, they're not going to play in Valid Literature Department for a while. And then it just comes on and I was like, at the bar in the queue being like, I can't believe this, I can't believe I'm missing this, I can't believe I'm missing this. But got got back in just for the right time and it was great. That was a, that was an amazing gig as we know. And yeah, there was there was some fights at that gig, like not that many, but there was the odd scrap that broke out. Uh, Cedric Bixler of the Valley got into the crowd with, yeah. a, with a very, very dedicated security man who shadowed him for the entire run. So yeah, I mean, like it is one of the things where you mentioned it there, policing at gigs. How will it go? Will it ever be the optimum thing? I don't think so. I think you put enough people in a room it's kind of an unpredictable measure. It depends on the crowd. Uh, you, you've never had any kind of rucks at your shows, I presume. Like, you, you're generally... Or have you? <laughs> Not rucks. I, I was playing... I was setting up to play a gig in the Twisted Pepper years ago, and there was nobody there. And I'm set up, I'm ready to go, and then I look to my left, and this very haggard-looking woman was standing on the stage just staring at me with this crazed smile on her face. And she looked like 40 coats or something like that. She looked... Like so, somebody had walked in off the street, and it was it was somebody who'd walked right through the Twisted Pepper, past security, onto the stage, and was just standing there. She wasn't even trying to dance or do anything. She just stood there looking at me. So I had to smiling, <laughs> smiling as well, which was really weird. So and like everyone, there was only like a handful of people standing there watching me, and they did nothing. That feels like a moment of sort of, but that woman has been dead for, for twenty seven years. years. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to grab the mic. And I don't do much talking in my set. I had to go like, I had to sheepishly go, security, <laughs> security. <laughs> in the Twisted Pepper. It was the uh, the weirdest and uncoolest start to a gig. I've, <laughs> Did she go had. to the gig? Did she go to the gig? Later on that night, like? Uh, no, she was promptly turfed out. Well, that's, that's typical musician wielding, wielding drunk with power. Oh, I, do. I, I wonder where she is now. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're, if you're at a Bantam show, you know, approach with caution. <laughs> He'll get security after he you. He will call security like nobody's business. <laughs> All right. Um, you mentioned briefly Rizangana family and catching them live yeah. uh, at the keynote last week. Of course, uh, they also just released their album, 
Let the Dead Bury the Dead. They did, indeed. We've all been giving it a spin this week. And if you haven't heard it, uh, it sounds like this. So that is from Let the Dead Bury the Dead, recent kind of family's uh, first album as a trio. What do we make of it? I'm a big fan. I'm very, very impressed by it. Uh, I, we have a review on Headstuff Music at the moment. Joshua Hughes wrote it, and I trust Josh when it comes to all matters hip-hop and rap, and he's got a very good measure for that kind of thing. Josh awarded it 7.5 out of 10, which coming from Josh, believe me, that's a high recommendation. He was very, very impressed by it. He's already described it as one of the most acclaimed, or not acclaimed, but kind of accomplished albums to come out of the Irish hip-hop scene. Uh, in his review, Josh kind of makes the point that from Ireland we've made such great contributions to all kinds of genres but this is perhaps one that we're lacking in and Roos and Gana family could possibly be the catalyst to lead the charge and of course go off and blaze their own trail which they are doing so uh, I think it's a I think from the very very start from the first track Kierkegaard comes in you're very much immediately in okay this is good territory like like, like and, and, and I wonder if that's a fault of me to kind of be like hey this is better than I thought it would be because of you know, Irish hip hop and, you know, the kind of, I suppose, not so much stigma, but maybe the kind of go to. Yeah, no, I, I don't think stigma is a bad word to use, or certainly it kind of sums up how people felt about it for a few years. Um, I think that's changing now. Um, I think it would be foolish to say that, you know, it doesn't have something to do with uh, the sort of credibility that artists like Rusa and Gano family bring, that, you know, they do have a real message that's beyond. Uh, sort of what was in Irish rap maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, I think My Name is John as well is is an extraordinary producer. Mm. Um, and, you know, even though people might kind of look at him and say, well, that looks strange. He's absolutely fantastic. He's brilliant. He's Yeah, it's three different, three totally different characters with three different voices. And I think John's production is a voice mm-hmm. that is rec- yeah. recognizable itself, you know. Um, and Murley, it's it, again his voice. It sounds like he's smiling when he's rapping. You know, it's it's something you rarely hear. Um, and God knows, like I think he has the first line on the on the album as well, mm-hmm. which really sticks with you. It's like how old he was when he first came to Ireland, I think, and the year it was. You know, it really sets the scene for the album, and it builds really nicely. I think it's it starts from an instrumentation point of view. It kind of 
it has you straight it has you straight, it has away, you straight like, away but it's chill kind of chill for them anyway and then it builds and builds and builds and um just the variety of instrumentation and sampling that's brought in by john is um really impressive yeah and i think that's the other thing you just mentioned i mean even from from the first line alone um it's probably a record that addresses issues that are probably quite prevalent in american hip-hop that haven't always been addressed here so things like racial identity stuff like that it's something that uh, god knows my name is john did on their first album which in fact was called Rusangano family yes which is going to get really confusing yeah. when they're about five or six albums into their career but um yeah those are issues that aren't often covered and um the fact that they've done it and indeed done it so well is uh, is extremely interesting it's definitely an album of stories uh, an album of characters but also not overwritten characters real people kind of with real experiences which happen to be compelling and you mentioned there rory that like Murley sounds like he speaks with a smile on his face yeah uh what's interesting is like i mean like you take a track like heathrow and on that track like it's the delivery by god knows in particular is so snarling there's real kind of you know focused venom in in those words you can read them like on, on a lyric sheet and you can kind of be like, oh, you know, this sounds very somber, and this sounds very real, and it sounds yeah. very upsetting at points, and you and, and and that can kind of get through to you there. Then you hear him say it with his kind of knowing acid tongue, and it has ten times more power because you lose none of the emotion, but you gain a lot more of his kind of, I guess, I suppose, his integrity. Yeah, he's yeah. taken power from these experiences, and he's done it like. I remember the first time I ever even heard him was I heard him speak in an interview that, like when he did uh, I think for Hot Press before I had to okay. I had to transcribe the the audio Stuart Clark interviewed him and I remember listening to him and I, I I didn't really know who he was or anything about him and he comes across as this incredibly passionate guy particularly about his where he comes from um like in kind of local services for artists and that kind of thing someone who really gives a shit mm. but he sounds like someone who speaks with a smile on his face when he talks then you hear him on a track like this. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, he's really managed to harness this, not so much alter ego, but definitely a part of him that needed to lash out, I think. Yeah, I mean, he goes on, having seen him live as well, I've seen them twice now, but I really got to study them in, in Cork and just see what they did. And I think I think it was God knows who carried the, uh, the the spoken word segments, you know, and he started really softly and then built and built and built to this, this growl at some stages, you know, um, it was really, really harsh, really harsh. Um, an effective um, cadence is, is what they have, you know, and then Murley comes in and compliments them perfectly. Um, even John, John got in on some of the um, spoken word acts. He, he'd like, he had these kind of, I'm sure they were scripted lines to say to the lads, you know, and they acted out these little scenes. And again, it was perfect. If you tell someone that they're going to do this before the gig, you think, oh, cheese ball. But <laughs> it was, it was amazing. And it, it shut everybody up in the venue. Um, it was so cool. Yeah. It's excellent record. If you can catch them live, absolutely yeah. do. But if you can't, uh, let the dead bury the dead. It's a great one. Dave, do you want to give us a score? Uh, I'm going eight. Uh, and like, I, you know, I, ratings are always that kind of complicated sure. thing. Like mm-hmm. when I saw Josh's review came in and I, and I was reading it, like, and I was like, oh, 7.5. I was kind of like, you know, but I totally respect that. I mean, like, like I say, that is a recommend. It's, it's an eight for me. I think it's a terrific debut and there's so much more to come. Um, I'm going to give it a nine because I gave their last one an eight. Um, I actually, I loved the last one as well. And this is, I'm still going back to it and discovering little things, Yeah, you know, and that's why I'm giving it that. 
yeah, I'm giving it an eight as well. And uh, considering that the previous albums, I think I've given a five and a four <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Quite the jump. Things are really looking up. Quite the jump. Indeed. Uh, very, very good. And the other album that we gave a spin to this week was um, the new one from M83. Uh, just in case Dave breaks into tears, <laughs> we're not going to spend too long talking about it. But uh, before we do, it sounds like this. Oh, Dave, 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 where did it all go wrong? Uh, okay, well, I kind of... Ex- I, 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 I more than just hinted at this last week when we in the album review section. I, I actually said a lot more than I intended to. Uh, my heart is still broken. I'm still shattered into a million nostalgic French pieces. Uh, so before I kind of get going again, perhaps we should hear from people who have not had as much time as me and might come at it from a different perspective. Call them. Well, I mean, the first thing to establish is that I'm very clearly nowhere near as big an M83 fan as you are. And I think that had a lot of effect (laughs) on how you took this album because... Personally. Well, yeah, and the level of expectation that you'd placed on it, I guess, was a little different to me. At the same time, knowing how you feel about it, I have to agree quite a bit. I do, however, disagree with this notion that he wasn't trying. For me, it's almost that he was trying too hard. It feels like this alphabet soup of a record where he's just thrown the kitchen sink at it and it's lost any sense of coherence or continuity because of that. Yeah. Like, I'm an M83 fan as well. You know, I play a lot of their tunes when I I DJ. Um, My expectations were high going into this until I read that Pitchfork interview um, with the singer and he just seemed a bit out of sorts. And then when I heard Do It, Try It, um, I thought he was taking the piss. Like, <laughs> I th- the the do it, try it pitched vocals. You know, it's a great song, but then you hear that thing. I just think he's just throwing it in to to mess with you. Also, um, like I wrote notes for this podcast, and I wrote f all for the Russ Angano family album, which I love. I wrote loads of notes for this. I made let's hear album. them. Let's hear them. All right, let's see. Okay, um, Moon Crystal sounds like a seventies sitcom intro. Um, it really does. Yeah, like you can't help but like look at the and see like credits with like big horrible yellow font, and then it's like and Anthony Gonzalez as yeah. Anthony. Yeah, uh, that sounds like this, by the way. Atlantic Sud uh, sounds like a soundtrack to an episode of Cheers in French. In space, <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that. I guarantee that's what he was going for. I'd say he would love to hear that. <laughs> There's so much here. Like, yeah, nailed it. Um, that's. I mean, like that's the question that I think we have to ask with this record. Do you think, as he finished these tracks off and put them in the can, he honestly thought, "Yeah, nailed it." 
Yes, I do, and that's why it's worrying. That is why it, I would I would describe it as worrying in that case. Yeah, I yeah, have really no would. doubt that this is the album that he wanted to make. I believe that completely. I and I wonder. So yeah, I guess it's not that he's not trying. I kind of feel like he almost is like, oh yeah, you liked Midnight City, did you? Well, how about this? And it's just kind of like, why are you being spiteful, man? You mentioned that Pitchfork interview, Rory, yeah. which I read as well, and I was like, alarm bells started fucking ringing. I was like, really? Because he says stuff like, uh, all mainstream music now, what gets played on the radio, etc., makes me want to puke. Uh, the youth of today was very old man yells at cloud, as I've said before. Um, he sounds very down and he does so like apart from that interview i think he had a very bad experience scoring that movie that tom cruise oblivion oh. yes he did and that's a good score i quite like that movie i, I like the two yeah like, I'm, I'm a big tom cruise guy which i've no shame about i think he's a terrific actor and one of our last great movie stars but that's a conversation for another podcast uh oblivion uh, the title track in particular with suzanne sunfor who appears on this record uh on the track for the kids alongside justin melvin johnson's daughter coming back reprising her role from recant moi une history that's terrible pronunciation for me that everyone can enjoy there. Uh, Oblivion, yeah, the soundtrack, it does what it does fine, but he very much was put into a situation where he very quickly realized, oh, shit, Hollywood studio notes, and he was yeah. kind of corralled into making what they wanted him to make, but I'm sure he was paid very, very handsomely for it. And it sounded great, I thought. I thought it sounded really, really good, yeah. Like, yeah. not the greatest MA3 album you're ever going to hear, but a lot of it was like sumptuous to listen to and yeah. totally nail what they were going for but no he seemed very as you say burned by that experience do you feel this album has a, an air of just being a bit fucking contrary because that's one of the things that I got from it really was you know of where he was uh, like you say he was saying you know modern music is shit the stuff that people are listening to and he was. It was almost as though he's kind of bursting out of his studio, going, "Oh, you, oh, you, you like synths, do you? You like synths? How about all of them at once?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like uh, more, more notes here. Actually, uh, reminds me of random access memories in terms of like the kitchen sink element to it. And but that's also why I didn't like random access memories. I think there was just too much going yeah, on. Yeah, that's another mess of an album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, from someone who or from oh, oh, people oh. who beforehand were, we were like it's all gold it's all gold oh no now it's now, now it's crap although what, at what the happened? same time I will say that at, at least like Random Access Memories yeah it's an incoherent album but at least it manages three or four minute blocks where they don't get too lost this M83 album there were points in which I was genuinely kind of pulling my phone back out going have I skipped a song yeah is this two separate tracks I didn't notice a gap um, yeah, they would just descend into madness. But yeah, so that, the Random Access Memories? Memories. What kind of album am I listening to? Uh, that, was, that was my cons list that I've just gone through. All right. My pros, the first pro for this album for me was the Steve Vai uh, guitar solo. Sure, yeah. okay, yeah. Which I believe was what, he did three takes, they used two of them and doubled them up. Oh, yeah. And it's like pinch, as you said on Twitter, pinch, pinch harmonics, harmonics galore. My, my inner... Zach Wilde's guitar nerd just went crazy when I listened to that. Loved it. Um, saxophone. That was a pro, but it was also in my cons list. Because it's too much. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. too much of it. Like, no one expected the saxophone when Midnight City came along and it's an incredible flourish. You know, it's Clarence Clemens would, mm. be, would be proud. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, let's have some more saxophone here and there and too cheesy, too throwbacky, yeah. too sitcom you know? Sitcom-y. Um, Solitude and Tension, both very nice songs. Just nicely, nice instrumentation in both. Sure. Um, the song with Beck is cool. That was my last note. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that Solitude is probably one of the standouts of the yeah. record for me. Uh, 
the the track with Beck, like you say, and I think Dave, you might have uh, touched on this previously as well. That by the time it gets there, you've kind of just ran out of energy. You're tired. Yeah, you're tired. Yeah, I said like in my Drown and Sound review. I said that I said that by the time Beck shows up on Time Wind, you're very much like you, you can almost be forgiven for forget, forgetting that he's there because you're not really paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, I've actually had a lot of opposition uh, on Twitter from posting that review and like fr- friendly. No one really kind of came at me. Sure, um, and also on the Drown and Sound Facebook page. Where a couple of people were a bit more combative. They were like, you just don't get it, which is always my favourite argument when it comes sure. to music. You know, you just don't get it. And it's like, well, I do. I'm a huge M83 fan. And, you know, I understand what he was going for. I just don't happen to agree with it. But uh, it's also been interesting to kind of see other M83 fans kind of come out and be like, yeah, I feel exactly the same. And like, but then again, I mean, like, is that a good thing? Is a divisive album, seven albums in a good thing? I mean, like, you know, you don't want more of the same every single time. He's done something different. I still love the guy. If M83 announced a show tomorrow, I'm buying the first fucking ticket that yeah. gets yeah, printed. Yeah. You know, I, 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 and I can't wait to see what he does next. He hasn't lost me as a fan. Or the anything. other, the other thing that you'd say is that the yeah, that especially when you have an album that is this out there, you definitely can't say, oh well, it's a clear path he's going down now, and I'm out. True. The next album could be just about anything. He needs so to get out of the eighties, though. He absolutely needs to get out of the eighties. The last track on this record, which I understand apparently is known to a deceased friend, so you know, fair enough. But it's called Sunday Night 1987. And like, if someone was going to make a parody of an M83 song, they would call it Sunday Night 1987. And it's too, it's just too like, you know, it sounds like the, like the end credits of an 80s, like Moonlighting or something. Yeah. You know, you're just like, okay, I get it, Anthony. I get it. You love your childhood. Okay, so finished burying it, Dave. <laughs> What's your score? I'm burying myself here, man. Uh, I gave it four out of ten for Drowning Sound. Um, five. And I've got to go with that as well. Five for me. Um, disappointing. Disappointing. From M83. Very disappointing. What? Count down the days for this album, man. What have you enjoyed instead? Well, actually, interestingly enough, something that's kind of of a similar, I suppose, soundscape tone. And vintage. And vintage indeed. John Carpenter. Uh, the legendary John Carpenter, film director, best known for the likes of Halloween, Assault on Precinct 13, uh, Escape from New York, Ghosts of Mars. No, we, we, we won't mention Ghosts of Mars. Uh, he's very much kind of almost retired, I suppose, from the directing world, and he certainly hasn't made anything of note in quite a while. But you think about those aforementioned first films I mentioned there. And the guy gets a pass for life, as far as I'm concerned. Halloween, I think to this day, is an absolute work of art. And I think a lot of that is the atmosphere. And the atmosphere, quite a lot of that comes from the music. Uh, The theme tune to Halloween, everyone knows it. It's utterly iconic, and it totally works. John Carpenter, in that regard, is an absolute genius for for me. And that's a big word, of course, but I feel that way. He released a record called Lost Themes about a year ago, and he's brought out a sequel to that, in the imaginatively titled Lost Themes 2, in which he plays with both of his sons, I believe, or, or, or his personnel. And yeah, it's, as you might expect, very much hearkening back to that kind of time, beautiful gorgeous gated synths and big reverb and big drums and like twangy guitar it's very accomplished stuff um for it does it does it work over the course of an entire album i would say yes and no there are the there are the odd duds but there's also some terrific stuff distant dream was the lead single and that's a great bit of fun with some drums that make me want to get back into drumming uh there's a track called angels asylum which sounds like great name yeah sounds like a biker gang uh but the music in that sounds incredibly like the kind of getting ready for the last act of the horror movie montage like you could imagine like the kids tooling up to go and take on the big vampire in the fright night house uh there's a track at the very end which sounds 
like it's I think it's called Utopian Facade, and it sounds like it could work on the new Blade Runner film that's being made at the moment. So yeah, John Carpenter flexing his muscles and still making important contributions to the world of art. It's funny that you should kind of say about it. You know, does it work for an entire album? Maybe not. I've got the same feeling about my record. However, mine sounds sonically so far from yours, which is uh, it's the new Sam Beam, or Iron and Wine, um, teaming up with Jessica Hoop for uh, an album of duets. It's called Love Letter on Fire. And it's it's an interesting one for the start because it's not Iron and Wine. He's recording under his own name, which he said he'd never do. And uh, obviously that's been a bit of a shift, and you can kind of see why, because this is an incredibly sort of personal and intimate album. He's usually such a wry look at the world and stuff like this. This is actually a little more Sam Beam laid bare, uh, which is really weird because he'd never met Jessica Hoop before they made the record. Even though this is a full album of love songs, uh, they didn't know each other from Adam. But uh, but it, it, it completely works. Um, it's kind of intimate against those odds. And uh, while there's nothing wildly out of the norm, they kind of, they nail it. And... Uh, you know, as we've kind of discussed with, with M83 and with, with others throughout this podcast, sometimes that's better than missing the mark when you go too explorative. Um, yeah, I think it's out this coming weekend, and uh, yeah, well worth a listen. Um, so on a completely different note to the previous two albums, mine is Deftones Gore. So we're we're keeping in, in line with my uh, checkered new metal past, I guess. Uh, this is my... Don't M83. be ashamed of it, man. This, I, we've yeah. all been there. And, and we still go there. This is my M83, I think. I'm uh, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a lifelong Deftones fan. I've been listening to them since a very young and impressionable age. Kind of lost track of them until 2012's Koi no Yokan album, which blew my mind, slapped me in the face. Um, I still listen to it. So needless to say, my expectations were huge for Gore, which is their latest release it's out this week. Um, they previewed, I think, three songs in advance of this. Uh, Prayer's Triangles, which is a bit of a departure uh, for their usual sounds, very shoegazy, woozy type sound. Um, drums are lower in the mix. It's very Beat reminiscent guitars. of uh, Pam's, that side project he had about three years ago. The, with yeah, yeah. Members the, of ISIS. The band ISIS, I should point out, not yeah. the terrorist group. Um, that, yeah, and that's an influence that's been brought in there. I mean, like again, we're talking about conflict between the band members and I read an interview um, I understand that us sending in Sasha Baron Cohen and Amy Schumer can sort it out yeah. uh. <laughs> send in the clowns um, again like I read an, an interview in advance of this with Steph Carpenter the guitarist and he almost disowned the album he said he just didn't like it so immediately alarm bells were ringing and they went into PR overdrive more interviews saying oh it's just how we are but um, I was concerned I liked the preview tracks, but that now listening to the album, nothing really sticks with me. Um, I'm a big fan. I can see that they're trying to kind of go different places, but I think there's a lot of push and pull there between different influences in the band. Usually that's their magic. You know, there's so many different um, contrasts in the group and it makes them great. Whereas now I think it's kind of pulling things apart um, in terms of how the album's worked out. So, yeah, disappointed. This is a... Uh, I don't know. I'm going to get in arguments with uh, Deftones fans on on forums now. I hope this, so. Uh, I think we need to have some kind of big group hug here. At least, at least you enjoyed your Sam Beam album. I I did like an album this album. week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, a start, right? I will say this though: on the subject of Deftones, I wouldn't have as big a following uh, as you would, yeah, Rory. But yeah. I, I definitely, you know, liked the good stuff. Um, 
One of my favorite reviews I've ever seen in my entire life, and I forget where this was because I haven't been able to track it down. I feel like it was in like the Metro magazine or something. And it was like, you know, the layout. Like, so you get like the photograph of the band, the photograph of the album cover, the big layout that you would always have, the yeah. template. So someone went to the trouble. And it was a Stereophonics album. And the okay. entire review, the entire review was, it's just another Stereophonics album, <laughs> which I think is terrific. And that's how I feel about Deftones Gore. It's just another Deftones album. Yeah. Um, Despite what you said about them trying something a little bit different and, and it does sound like I say a little bit more like Chino brought in his Pam's kind of you know work print but it's still just a Deftones album yeah I mean everything I've read about them so far uh, all the reviews all the features you know they've mentioned White Pony which is kind of deemed their classic album and it just seems everybody is trying to look back while the band are trying to look forward whereas this time uh, they're not going in very good directions I think right. um yeah, and also there's one thing one thing in common with this album and the M83 album, which is unnecessary guitar solos. Hmm. Um, Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains plays a solo later on in the album. Why um, not? Bring him in. Yeah. Featuring, featuring Jerry Cantrell. I think that was it. I, like, I, I, read, I, I listened to a podcast actually with Chino. And he, he mentioned, they asked him, so why was Jerry Cantrell on it? And he said, ah, he was just down the road. We'll bring him in. You oh, know? great. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Before we wrap things up for this week, by the way, just when you mention your favorite uh, review ever, mm-hmm. I have to mention mine, which was, uh, again, just four words. It wasn't quite just another stereophonics album. It was a review of uh, Wind in the Wires, which was a Patrick Wolf album. And uh, I-, I think this was on Mongrel magazine. And it was just headed with, you know, Patrick Wolf, Wind in the Wires, followed by Cunt in a Studio. <laughs> Oh, and that's all we've got time for, folks. Well, uh, actually, we got we got time for one more uh, quick fire bad review, and it's a film. There was a terrible Robert De Niro movie called Hide and Seek at about ten or eleven years ago. I used to work in Extravision, so I remember stacking out the DVD shelves and no one renting it because it looked like trash. And there was a review of it, and the review preamble it said Hide and Seek, and then in the kind of thing that you click into, it said surprising ending. So you click into, it and it goes Robert De Niro's the killer. Big fucking surprise. <laughs> I have a lot of time for those kind of reviews. Um, and on this podcast, we have a lot of time for new and up-and-coming Irish acts. So we're going to play a track called Kerosene by an artist called Roshi and El Sharif. We've actually had quite a lot of artists kind of reaching out and sending in music. Uh, so we're stuff for the gills, really, we're really, really good stuff. If you want your band or your act or whatever you deem yourself played on this episode, played on this podcast... We're all for it. Uh, Drop an email to music at headstuff.org. And if we like what we hear, we'll play it. If we don't like what we we hear, Cullen will send you a very angry response because that's the kind of thing that he's into. That's how he gets his jollies. So for the exit music for this episode, the track is called Kerosene. The artist is called Roshanelle Shreve. She's a singer-songwriter. She's new in the scene. She works in film production and very much the art scene in Dublin. She calls Galway her home. And this track is produced by Gavin Glass and Scott Halliday of Orphan Recording Studios. The EP is set to come out in May. So thank you, Rory, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Colin, for Thank you, Colin, for derailing the show on several key moments as always as always it's been good my name is Dave Hanratty this has been No Encore there will be No Encore and this is Kerosene by Roshan El Sharif sun-kissed skin from a TV screen fingertips of gasoline tastes like honey the kindest mean and I think everything's as it seems I can be your gentle queen I will listen and believe The other sides never look so green When you think it's as it seems Oh my, oh my, oh my Oh low, how low 
of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.